We're going to be in Proverbs 15 this morning. You can go ahead and turn there. I decided to take a a slight detour before starting Acts. We'll start Acts uh, next week. But Proverbs 15 is where we're going to be this morning. It's uh, seldom uh, that I get a chance to preach out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is an important book of the Bible. A little bit more difficult to preach out of, but we're going to dive in this morning because it's important. There are 31 chapters of Proverbs. And Proverbs are true statements that give insight for living and a well-ordered life. It's many, many statements, one true statement after the other, and they give us insight as to how we ought to live. The Proverbs are applied knowledge or wisdom. That's what wisdom is. You can have abstract knowledge that doesn't really help anybody do anything, and then there is applied knowledge that you can just say, wow, I, I see the truth in that right away and what I need to do with it. It's truth for living, but it is encapsulated truth. They're they're stated one at a time. Some of them group together, but for the most part, it's just one statement after another, after another, after another. Now, they're thematically organized because there's things that really matter to God, and those themes are mentioned over and over again. So this morning, when we go through Proverbs chapter 15, we're going to look at a gathering of verses that are thematically related as we go through this chapter. They're written by various authors, mostly written by King Solomon, but also by a man named Agur and King Lemuel. Statements that are easily applicable, and the reality of what you read will jump right off the page. But the thing I want to focus on this morning, that's easy to do, is to say, oh, I know somebody that's like that. My coworker's just like that. My kids are just like that. Or my spouse is just like that. And what I want us to do this morning is to try not to do that, And instead say, wow, I see that in my own heart. And I see that in my own life. And I see that that's true with me. Because we have to start with ourselves before we go to others in these areas. And we're going to close with that. We're going to come back to that idea. Because the Proverbs are convicting. They are insightful. Many of the Proverbs you're saying, man, I never thought about life in that way. But that is so true. Many of them are life-changing. Uh, There's this one proverb about a person without self-control is like a city with the wall torn down. Just an interesting idea, like anything can just come right in and overcome you because there's nothing, nothing stopping anything from coming or going. They are words to live by. A little interesting thing that I'll put out there this morning devotionally before we dive in is that there's 31 proverbs and most days of the month have 30 or 31 days. So, It's an interesting devotional thing. If you don't know what to read for your devotions that day, read the proverb of the day. Uh, It's hard to just read straight through the proverbs. It's a bit much. It gets overwhelming. But when you periodically just read a chapter of the proverbs, it becomes very, very impacting uh, to your life. So I encourage you now and then in your devotions just to read the proverb that is in line with the day. Well, we're going to be a little bit different this morning. I know we normally read the entire chapter, but what I'm going to do this morning is instead read the Proverbs that we're going through as we go through them. And so we'll eventually get through most of the Proverbs here in chapter 15, but not all of them. So each verse that I refer to will refer to a verse here in Proverbs chapter 15. So we're going to begin with this theme of anger and gentleness. And there's three Proverbs in Proverbs chapter 15 that relate to this. Let's begin with verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We go to verse 4. 
A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. And then verse 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. These are three verses that relate to anger and gentleness. The stirring up of anger or the, the tamping down or the turning away of anger, the quieting of anger. It's language of escalation or de-escalation. We, every one of us here have lived these situations. We know exactly what it means to either escalate an argument or de-escalate an argument. And the choice of which direction it will go has to do with you in the situation. This is an admonition to those involved in that situation. If you choose to speak a gentle word or you can speak a harsh word, and you're going to make that choice as to what you're going to do. And that word is going to impact the situation. You're either going to be in control or you're going to be out of control. You're either going to be a peacemaker or you're going to be venting your anger. And this world will tell you that it's right to, to vent whatever's on your heart. If you're angry, then be angry and just vent it on that person. We all know that that brings no good. And the scriptures are very clear that the anger of man cannot accomplish the righteousness of God. You're either building up or blessing the people that are around you by the gentle and kind words that you speak, or you are tearing them down and destroying them through the harsh words, the hot-tempered words that you speak when you are angry. And so the, the thing that the, 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 the Proverbs are trying to get across to us here is that our words and the tone of our words matter in the conversations that we have. It is a basic aspect of healthy communication that you cannot raise your voice when you are uh, speaking. When you're angry and your voice raises, whether it's with your children or your spouse or your coworkers, as soon as you start to raise your voice, the whole conversation goes off track and no good thing's gonna come from it after that point. Gentleness, we must understand from this because it says a gentle or a soft answer turns away wrath. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit of God. You will not naturally be able to return a gentle word when someone is screaming at you. You will want to scream back at them. They push you, you want to push them back. It's only by a work of the Lord in our hearts that we can bring a gentle word or a kind word in the face of anger. And so when we come into the situation and we know that you can feel the hot temper rising up inside of you, and you have a choice of what you're going to say. And it becomes a time of prayer, a moment of prayer. God, help me to be kind and to be gentle and to bring a soft answer that will, in fact, do what it says here. It will turn away wrath. Nothing quiets a situation like an angry person coming to a person that will, will not be moved in their kindness or their gentleness. And it just, it just de-escalates everything. Ask God to help you with these things. Let's go on to another theme, verses 3 and verses 11. The eyes of the Lord, or the idea that the Lord sees all things. Let's, uh, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. In verse 11, same theme, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of the children of men. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. This speaks to the omnipresence of God. 
that the Lord God knows what is going on in all the world, including in our hearts. Whether you are in the light or in the dark, whether you are alone or in a great crowd, whether you are in a remote place or in your car commuting to work for the thousandth time, the eyes of the Lord are upon you. And it's important to think about that. Often we forget the fact that the Lord is aware, very acutely and personally aware of what is happening in our lives every single day. The second verse talks about, verse 11, about our hearts being open to the Lord. This is expressed over and over and over in the Gospels, where Jesus is addressing large crowds of people and they're, they're thinking something in their heart or they're in the back row mumbling to each other, knowing that Jesus can't hear what they're saying. And the scriptures will say, and Jesus speaks to them according to what he knew was in their heart. He, he addresses them directly related to what is going on in their heart because their hearts are open before him. And it's the same with us. If we're ruminating on hateful or lustful or proud thoughts, the Lord knows what is rolling around in our heart. And if you think you can go out in the middle of the night alone and nobody will know what's going on with you, the Lord knows. He knows exactly what's going on. And so the omnipresence of the Lord is something that has two different sides to it. Because for the ungodly, for the unrighteous, what it is, is the Lord is looking to their lives to either thwart what they are doing or to judge or to bring down or sometimes to destroy that person in their wickedness. But it's not so with the godly. With the godly and the righteous, the Lord sees what is happening, that he might strengthen your hand, that he might uphold you, that he might reward you for the godliness of your life, that he might guide your way and protect you and get you from where you are to where he wants you to be because he is always working to accomplish his will. And the righteous and the godly as they live in this world, though they may seem and feel very alone, they're not alone. The Lord sees you. Sometimes we get in desperate straits of feeling like we are completely alone in this world and no one knows what is happening. But God sees you. The eyes of the Lord are upon you, not to bring you down, but to guide you and to reward and to protect. And so there's two sides to that. But our hearts are open to the Lord and nothing is hidden and it's an important reality to remember. Third, we go to the fool and to parents. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 5 and verse 20. Verse 5, a fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever needs reproof is prudent. Verse 20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. All right, the Proverbs are absolutely full of admonitions to children respecting, honoring, and hearing their parents. I mean, it is absolutely everywhere. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. God cares about the relationships between children, even adult children, and their parents. So let's start with verse 5. So uh, a fool despises his father's instruction. This is, despise is a hard word. That says, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear anything that you have to say. I don't care what you have to say. Shut your mouth because I don't want to hear what you have to say. It's a dishonoring word. It's a despising of a parent. And when you despise the word of a parent as a child, no matter your age to your parent, 
it, it does something to fracture the relationship because we are called to honor our parents in the way that we speak to them. There's very emotional language. It's just a little bit kind of peeks through here in verse 20. A wise son makes a father glad. It, when, when, you're, when your child, your, your son or your daughter honor you with their words and they love you, it makes you glad. It lifts up your heart. It's that you know, famous or whatever saying that a, a parent is only as happy as their most rebellious child. It's a hard thing. You know, when, when you've got a child that's off the reservation and going bad, it just, your, your, your mind just constantly gravitates to that. And it becomes very, very difficult to be joyful, to be glad, because you keep going back to that place. And so when you are that child, you are causing grief and sadness to your parent. And so I would ask you this morning, as the Proverbs encourage and speak to the reality that children are to hear, to honor, and bring joy to their parents, how is your relationship with your parents? I ask that of children, of teenagers, of college students, those that, you, that are adults that have living parents, what is the nature of your relationship with your parents? God knows Nobody else in this room may know, but God knows what your relationship with your parents are. Are your parents always right? No. They're sinners. They're people. They're not always right. And they know they're not always right, in case you didn't know that. They know they're not always right. But we are required and pressed by the Proverbs to hear them, to honor them, and to love them. You can hear your parents. You can listen to them. You can honor them. And you can love them, even though you may disagree with them in the end. And adults do that, and that's fine. But there's a tone to the relationship that will either be fracturing and dishonoring or that which will bring joy and happiness and generational blessing as family upon family and generation upon generation are not fractured from each other but are joined together. Let me remind you that you will one day want to receive this type of treatment from your children. When, when you are in that older role, you will want to see the same thing. All right, now we've got a, a series of four verses here in Proverbs 15 related to the wicked. The wicked. Let me ask first, what is a wicked person? Because we don't have a lot of that language in our day and age. Uh, this person is wicked. We don't hear that a lot. But the Proverbs use that language very, very regularly. A wicked person is an ungodly person, a person that shakes their fist at God or a person that ignores God. The Lord God who is worthy of our praise, worthy of our honor, worthy of, of praising and worshiping him, praying to him as we have been doing this morning, and they ignore him because they don't believe in him, they don't care about him, they're not interested in him, they give him no time. They use his name as a curse. They ignore the special nature of, of a Sabbath day, one day set apart in seven for the sake of worship. They don't come to a place like this. They take up every recreational activity known to man to never come here on Sunday because they don't believe in God and they don't care about God. And so they're going to go do anything other than come and honor him. They dishonor their parents, as we have been saying. They lie, cheat, steal, gossip, hate, do whatever they want to sexually. And on the whole, they live selfish and self-centered lives. The ungodly or the wicked live selfish lives. It's all about fulfilling their own desires and their own heart and getting what they want, when they want it, how they want it. 
Because the opposite is a godly person. A godly person lives a God-centered life. Their life is about honoring the Lord, obeying the Lord, living for him, by him, prayerfully unto his will. And so they're two totally different camps. And so we have in verses 8, 9, 26, and 29, the contrast between the wicked and the righteous. So let's go to verses 8 and 9 first. 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Verse 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. Verse 26. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but gracious words are pure. Verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. So let's go down these these contrasting statements here. First, verse 8, God does not want the empty religious actions of the wicked. There are many wicked people that for various reasons will go and do religious things. They'll go light a candle. They'll go say a prayer. They'll, they'll go to church to, to go to church because you're supposed to or somebody wants them to. They have no, there's no heart connection there, but it's a religious action that has no real bearing on their love for God. This verse tells us that God does not want their religious empty actions, that they're in fact an abomination to the Lord, that their whole life is an abomination to the Lord, that they live a rebellious life that is going against everything that God would have for them to do. And as they run into their sin, as they run into death, as they close their ears and their eyes to the things that God would have for them, their life is an abomination. Their perverse, hateful, selfish thoughts, as it says in verse 26, are an abomination. And the Lord knows. The Lord knows what's going on in their mind. They're not neutral. They are scheming and planning and working to do what the Lord has told them not to do. They're trying to do what they want to do. And it's not a neutral action. It's a, it's a wicked action. And in verse 29, the Lord is far from them. That's why they're called lost They're going out in their own way, and they're lost in a wilderness of their own wickedness. The righteous are the opposite. Verses 8 and 29 are very clear about the prayers of the righteous, because righteous people are always trying to communicate with God. They always want to pray and and give thanks or ask God for something or honor Him or confess their sins. And there is a very real personal communication between the righteous and the Lord God. And the Lord hears their prayers, those that are pursuing the Lord. Verse 9, they're loved by God in their pursuit of righteousness. That's That's an important word. It's not that they have arrived or they have done everything that God wants them to do, that they have completed what the Lord would have for them to be, but they are pursuing the Lord. Every single one of us here who love the Lord are pursuing Him. We are all a work in progress. During vacation Bible school, when I was a little guy, we used to always sing the little song, uh, God's still working on me uh, to make me what I ought to be. Uh, See if I can remember it. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, but uh, I'm so happy to be me because God's still working on me. (laughs) It's true. God's working on every one of you here. You're all a work in progress. And so it's the pursuit of God that the Lord loves. He loves to see us seeking him. 
and going after him and just, God, I want to know a little bit more about you. I want to know who you are just a little bit more. Today, help me to be a little more like what you would have for me to be. And the Lord is greatly pleased by that. He honors that. He hears that prayer and it's acceptable to him. So there's a difference between the life of the wicked and the righteous. The two are different. All right, let's go on to verses 16 and 17. These are fantastic verses. These, I've got some of the Proverbs underlined. This is one that I, I use in every pre-marriage counseling and one that I come back to all the time. Verses 16 and 17. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. This is a statement of contentment and the simple life. It is better to have a table of vegetables where love is than a fattened calf with hatred. The rich family where everybody hates each other and screams at each other and don't even want to be together versus the table that's simple in a small house with a little bit where two people or the three people or however many people are there, they love each other because they love the Lord. It's better to have a house like that. Contentment is an elusive thing in our day and age. People are radically desirous of the things of the world and the, and the entertainment and the advertising age that we live in where advertisements are forever in your face and like everywhere. And it's always trying to, to stoke your discontentment. It doesn't matter that your drill works. You need a bigger drill. And it doesn't matter that your car works just fine. You need a newer car because your car stinks. It's old. <laughs> and you need whatever. Like it's a constantly a planned obsolescence to make you want more and more of this world. It is pressing against a heart of contentment. But for a couple times, I'm going to ask you to turn one page. If you'll turn one page in your Bible, this just keeps going because it's so important. Verse 16, um, chapter 16, verse 8. 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. And then chapter 17, verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Man, I mean, is that not true? When everybody's yelling at each other and everybody's angry with each other, it's like, just get me out of here. And I, it, it's better to have a simple life. And we're going to come to like, where do you get to these things? So what is happening here? You've got contentment is radically connected with thankfulness in the scriptures. You will never be truly thankful or be able to give thanks to God until you're actually content with what God has provided you. Whether that's the relationships, something financial, the actual place where you live, the job that you have. When your life is one giant fireball of discontent, you will never be thankful. But when you can be content with what God's given you, you will be thankful for what he has given you. And it leads to all kinds of spiritual growth in your life. God promises to meet our needs, and he does meet our needs. Every single one of you in this place that know Christ as your Savior, I guarantee that your needs are met. Whether you believe that or not largely relates to whether you are content with what you have or not. But God has met your needs. Worldliness and ungodliness drives us to always be discontent and ever want more and more and more of this world. 
One of the great counterpart passages of this in the New Testament is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. 1 Timothy 5, 6 through 10. And constant friction among people who are deprived in mind and deprived of truth. Uh, let me, actually, let me start at 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. They plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs. Man, that is just, that relates directly to this idea of contentment and simplicity. I, I will not be content with what I have. Because what's happening here in the relationship to contentment and godliness is we're called by Jesus not to seek first the things of the world, but to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Now, we're going to see our next place we're going to here is industry. So the, the, the Proverbs talk to us all the time about work and industry. But there is a prioritization of these things. We are to seek first the Lord. He gets the first part of our week, the first part of our time. Our mind first goes to the things of the Lord, and then it goes to the things of this world. But our heart goes first to the Lord, and that takes time. And it takes a decision. It takes you actively taking hold of the craziness of your day to say, I am going to spend some time with the Lord today. I'm going to look at my week and I'm going to make time for the things that the Lord says are most important. And I'm going to walk in those ways. So help me God. I'm going to pursue the Lord. And so the Proverbs are saying to us that you cannot have all the world and all the things of God at the same time. You can't spend all of your time pursuing the world and have a great relationship with the Lord. It's impossible. You have to say no to certain things of the world to say yes to the things of God. And that will inevitably result in you living a simpler, less materialistic life. It will. Now, can you be content with that? Well, they go together. Because once you start to pursue the Lord and you see the goodness of what it means to follow after Christ, the things of the world, as that great hymn says, grow strangely dim. Somehow, you just don't need a new car all the time because you just don't care as much. Like yours runs and it's just fine. And you just don't care about so many of the things that you cared so much about because your heart is now set on heaven and on the things of Christ Jesus. And you somehow begin to care about the souls of other people, of men and women and boys and girls, more than you care about the, care about the material things of this world. And so pursue contentment, brothers and sisters. It's really important. Better is a life with little and the fear of the Lord. Let's go on to verse 19, the sluggard. So it's talking about thankfulness and the pursuit of the kingdom of God and all these things. Well, the, the Proverbs balance this out with the necessity of industry. The, the sluggard is a great Proverbs word. It's in there all the time, and it's such a great word, the sluggard. Um, here it makes an appearance in verse 19. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Just the idea that there's all kinds. The sluggard never 
never is able to get anywhere or make any progress. It's like he keeps running into a a hedge that he can't get through. Let's read one of the other great passages in Proverbs about the sluggard. Uh, Chapter 26. Flip over a few pages to chapter 26. Um, Let's see here. 26, 13 through 16. 26, 13 through 16. The sluggard says, There is a lion on the road. There is a lion in the streets. It's a great excuse for, I'm not going out there. It's dangerous out there. Verse 14. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard in his bed. Isn't that awesome? Like, eh, uh, eh, uh, eh. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Just, <laughs> you know, just nothing. You know, it's just not even going to, it's too much for me to even come back. And that's one where like, you see it in other people and you got to see it in yourself. Like, all right, where, where am I so lazy? Like, I won't get up and do something very simple that I ought to be doing. Uh, verse 16, the sluggard is wise in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. The wise in his own eyes. We'll get to that one in a minute. So the sluggard, this relates to laziness and industry. There is a, it's a huge theme in the book of Proverbs, laziness versus industry. Laziness is when we ought to be working, but we are instead idle. Now, I want you to hear me. This is not the great American dream of work, 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 and then work some more. That's not what we're talking about here. We're putting the kingdom of God in the place that it ought to be. But then there is another place that is a very significant part of your life, which is work. God has created each and every one of us to work, some outside of the home, some inside the home, but industry and work is a major part of our life. And the Lord uses work in our life to keep us from, to do all kinds of things. It keeps us away from sin and temptation in many ways. There's an old uh, Puritan proverb, the, an idle hand is the devil's workshop. And that's a, that's a powerful proverb. And it's, it's true. When you sit around doing nothing all day, you are going to tend towards temptation and evil. When you ought to be at work doing something that God created you and gifted you to do, and instead you're just sitting around doing nothing, it will not lead you to a good place. So appropriate work helps keep us away from temptation. It meets our material needs. The primary way that the Lord would have your material needs to be met is through the work of your hands. Over and over, the Proverbs say the sluggard does not have his needs met. There's one where it says the sluggard doesn't plant, but come the fall, he looks out in the field and is shocked that there's nothing growing there. And you think, well, I mean, of course, but how many people are like that? They do no work. They put nothing in. This is the Little Red Hidden kids book. You know, you do nothing. You put nothing in, but you want something at the end. This all kind of started with the Proverbs because the Lord would have us to work. It leads also to development of virtue. The Lord develops virtues and character in our lives through work. There's all kinds of ways that comes together with godliness and work, but the Lord uses the, the trials and the hardships and the struggle of the workplace and the, the, the work that God has given us to do, whether it be in the home or outside of the home, to develop our character. And when we don't take up that work, we do not end up developing that virtue in our life. Okay, I'm running out of time here. Um, So, we're seeking first the kingdom of God. It is a warning. Hear the warning. The warning is against us being lazy and idle. That is what the warning is against. Against you being lazy and idle. 
Our day and age is eat up with this. You don't have to read many news articles before you find business people everywhere saying, I cannot find young people that will work hard. They won't show up on time. They take a 30-minute bathroom break. They leave early. They call in sick all the time. They, they recently changed some of the laws and have started recruiting through the AARP to get people back that are well past their normal everyday working hours because they're the people that will work hard. And so Christians ought to be known as hardworking people, that we are industrious people that do what we say we're going to do, and we show up and we work. Because it's very important that what is not in the Proverbs, what is not in the Proverbs is some universal government paycheck for everybody to get just because you exist. It's not here. The Proverbs tell us that if you don't work, you, and you are able to work, but you don't work. So let me hear those two things together. If you're able to work and you don't work, you shouldn't eat. And that's what Paul says very clearly. If you're able to work and you choose not to work, then you shouldn't eat. And that your need should drive you to find work and be industrious. That is actually showing love to a person. Because a person just sitting there that is able to work and chooses not to work, they will fall into temptation and they will never develop the virtue that the Lord has had them to do. And finding work leads to great value in your life, great sense of self-worth and importance and provides for your needs and all kinds of great things come out of it. And so we should be urging our children, our grandchildren, the friends that are around us that are idle to find work and pray press them into it that we might see their lives flourish. All right, um, I'm going to have to go ahead and close here. So verse 22 is a wonderful passage. I just, you know, go, go look at verse 22 before you, you know, sometime this afternoon. Uh, let's see here. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Don't go it alone in making big decisions. Ask people that you trust for real advice and hear what they have to say. But let me close with this. Matthew chapter 7, because you can spend a lot of time, and I hope you will, in reading the Proverbs. Matthew chapter 7 takes us back to where we began this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 through 5 says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So let us begin in reading the Proverbs with looking to our own heart and how it is that we need to adjust what is happening in our life related to what we see in the Proverbs. And once we begin to make progress there, then we can go and help others make progress. But we must begin in our own heart. And the first step of making progress in this way is the last verse in our chapter, verse 15. It speaks to the fear of the Lord. Chapter 15, verse 33 says this, The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. The Proverbs speak often about the fear of the Lord. It is the beginning of of wisdom. If you have no fear of the Lord, you have not even begun in these things. You cannot make progress in these things if you don't believe in the Lord and honor him. If you want to make progress in these ways, you must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. For how can you possibly walk in the ways of Jesus if you do not believe that he exists? So we begin by faith and then we pursue the Lord in godliness. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for this morning and for your word. Your word is filled with so many different types of writing, 
so many different ways of helping us understand who you are and what your will is for our lives. We thank you for the practical writings of the Proverbs, and I pray, Lord, that you will help us to go back to them often and see ourselves there and make the progress that we need to, and then help us to, in a right way, apply these to others and help them as well. Lord, may we be those who are godly, and we pray that you would hear our prayers and that you would see us where we are and that you would strengthen us and guide us and protect us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.